I'm sure you have all, at some time or another, during a holiday trip, gotten stuck in a traffic jam, irritated at the inconvenience. I know I'm guilty of it. But once I started thinking about it, I realized I should be grateful for the minor delay in my travel, that I wasn't involved in a collision or worse, much, much worse for those whose stories I will share this season. Traffic deaths increased by nearly a third during holidays, a time when we are focused on seeing our families and friends, a happy time, celebrations. They are too often marred by tragedy, and often that is avoidable because of the American way of celebrating often includes too much alcohol and then driving. The deadliest holiday is Thanksgiving. More automobile crashes happen during the Thanksgiving weekend than during any other holiday. From 2016 to 2020, nearly 11,000 people were killed during the Thanksgiving holiday. We don't think it's going to be us, but even if we do everything right, there are intoxicated, speeding, and distracted drivers sharing the roads. Today, we're going back to Thanksgiving 2018, just an ordinary holiday weekend in the South. Victims of the fatal crash on I-59 in Pearl River County on Thanksgiving Day have been identified. The driver of the 2018 Dodge Caravan identified as 48-year-old Shelly Rose of Asheville, North Carolina. She crashed head-on into a Saturn Ion in Nissan Altima. The driver of the Ion was identified as 23-year-old Jada Bright of Picayune. The driver of the Nissan Altima identified as 45-year-old Evans Benson of Albertville, Alabama. They all died. Four other people were injured during that multi-vehicle accident. It just feels like if one person would have did their job, three people would be alive right now. Just one person. We just need one person to do their job. You are listening to episode two of Telling Lives, Alcohol, intoxicants, accidents, and America. I am your host, Elizabeth Clark. Jada Bright was looking forward to Thanksgiving with her family. The Slidell, Louisiana native was a senior studying sports management and public relations at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, just about a 90-minute drive home. This wasn't just any return visit home. One of her last trips south had been to bury her father, Jasper Bright Sr., Prior to his passing, according to her sister-in-law, Jada had been in denial that she was about to lose her daddy, about to be an orphan while barely an adult. So she had avoided the issue by staying at school and working weekends waiting tables at an upscale restaurant, Patio 44. When we found out my father-in-law had cancer, we knew that he had been sick for a while and um, he had decided to stop doing treatment because he said it was just, it was bad, you know. Um, we had my, one of my brother-in-laws, Andre, had threw a big old party for him and invited the whole family. We went to Fountain Blue and we had a big family picnic. Um, Jada didn't come. And when I would talk to her, she it was like in her mind, she just wouldn't, couldn't accept the fact that her dad was about to die. That was in February of 2000 and, yeah, in 2018. 
So, but she kept saying, my dad thinks he's gonna die. He's not gonna be die, he's gonna be okay. That's what she kept telling me. And I was like, Jada, like, it's really bad. You know, you need to come home. But she like didn't, she like didn't wanna come home. Jada's mother, Alicia, had died from a brain aneurysm when Jada was just three years old. Jada's mom, Alicia, like I, I would go over there and like have dinner with them every night and her and I would go shopping all the time together. She would always tell me like when Jada grew up, she wanted her to go like to a private Catholic school and have a little uniform on and her mom, one night she got really, she was sick. She had an aneurysm and you know, by the time the ambulance got there, she had, um, she was already brain dead. So they had her at the hospital and I remember my father-in-law, he wasn't my father-in-law at the time. He kept telling me like, you need to go up there and tell Alicia bye, you need to go up there. And I waited like two days before I went because I was so upset about it. And, um, and it really was the first time that I was gonna see someone like that. So I was like just afraid, you know, of what I might see. And I remember when I walked in there and I just sat next to her and I told her, I promised her that I would always look after Jada, like she was my own. And I would always make sure she was okay. Um, you know, I sat there for a little bit and then I left. And I would say maybe about two or three hours later, they called and said she had passed. Jada had had a rough life growing up without her mother, but she was fortunate to be the baby of eight close-knit siblings. Her older brother, Jasper, and his wife, Jennifer, who graciously opened up their lives to me for this podcast, helped raise and look out for Jada. Jada, like, had, like, the biggest personality and you know she was never like shy um she read a lot and she was just really innocent so she didn't fit in with a lot of kids so I, I feel like until she got to college she kind of figured out who she was she really started to like have friends I remember we went to the Rihanna concert together all three of us and we had so much fun um so when Jada was in college like Okay, so I'm like, you need to start emailing the schools and telling them you want, you know, you do video and, you know, you help with the team so you can manage. So when she got accepted into Southern, she did that. And she got to be like the, the film. She did film and she did recruiting. And like, that's when she like started like figuring out like, this is what I want to do. And um, so she was there for two years. And then that's when she switched over to um, USM. You know, she really liked USM and they were, they had put her on a scholarship. Um, to help with, you know, managing the football teams. And, and you know, she decided that's where she wanted to go into. Um, like, she was applying for internships with the Saints. She was with some program, some sports foundation in New Orleans, and she got to do all the bowl games, the Sugar Bowls and stuff in New Orleans. She got to be a part of, like, the, you know, just the workings of that. And then she was like, this is what I want to do, you know. So it was just, all of this was just really crazy because, she was just like figuring out what she wanted to do. She never really like, like she never like was really in love. Like, so she never, it's just so many, just so many things. Like her life had just so much potential. Jada was on track to graduate from Southern Miss in May, 2019. And she was so excited about it. 2018 had been an especially trying year for the normally vivacious young woman. She came home for the funeral. She just wasn't herself. And I just, she, you know, she was alone because now she didn't have a mom or a dad. She was really looking forward to the holidays, 
even though they were going to be quieter than usual, since part of the family was going on a cruise. That Thanksgiving, my mom had, for, for our family, she had planned um, to go on a cruise for Thanksgiving because I was going to invite Jada. But then my, my mom really wanted to be her family because my husband's family is so big and the kids are so close in age. A lot of times their family kind of overgrows our family because it's so small. One of my sons had called me, it was like maybe four days before the cruise, before Thanksgiving, and he was like, he couldn't get off of work, he couldn't go. So in my mind, I was like, I'm about to, I'm gonna give this ticket to Jada. So I called Jada on the phone and I'm like, hey, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? She's like, I gotta work. She's like, but then I'm gonna go to one their one of their sisters, her name is TT Bud. Her name's Latricia, but they call her TT Bud. <laughs> so <laughs> she's like, I'm going to TT Bud's house. And she goes, and I'm gonna go see some of my friends for Bayou Classics from Southern, but then I have to get back for Saturday because I gotta go to work. So I didn't even mention the cruise to her. Um, it's probably like the one thing I think about every single day. Because if I would have mentioned it to her, she would have blew up all her plans and she would have been with us the day before. So it's the one thing that I replayed that conversation over and over and over again. She had worked late the night before, waiting tables at Patio 44. She was excited to have a couple of days off to spend with loved ones and not have to worry about classes or work. Her co-worker, Josh Sheremy, worked with her Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. And yeah, I mean, we just did good together for about a year. And then one night we're all working and actually... What's funny is we were supposed to go, we're going to the same place the same as the next day. Me, her, and Francis Laveau, were who was the manager that night, were closing. And we finished up all of our duties. We knew that we both were going to New Orleans the next day. So, you know, we told everybody, bye, have a great holiday, see you when we get back. You know, because you, you never really think of anything like that because it, it can happen just so sudden. Thanksgiving Day, Jada woke up early and packed. You know, we got packed. That morning, I remember she sent me she sent me a Snapchat, and it was like, "Y'all have fun. I love you." And Jada headed south from Hattiesburg to spend the holiday with family outside New Orleans. Jennifer and her husband and family were headed to Mobile, Alabama, that morning to board a cruise ship. But Jennifer said she started getting an uneasy feeling in the pit of her stomach. And I remember thinking, like, I don't even feel like Thanksgiving. And I remember sitting there and something feeling really not right. But I didn't know what it was. And it was around 10 o'clock in the morning. And something that it just, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Jennifer's parents had traveled separately and they were waiting in a restaurant near the ship, anticipating boarding their trip to paradise, Cozumel, Mexico. Jennifer's father, who was also close friends with Jasper Bright Sr., is terminally ill himself, and this was supposed to be his trip of a lifetime with his children and grandchildren. Everyone was feeling good about the fun and relaxation ahead of them for the next few days on the beautiful sunny beaches of the resort town, but it was not meant to be. The phone rang, so he's answered the phone, he's pulling the ticket out for us to go pay the park, and it, he's just like, I can't figure out what's going on, then he, we have cars behind us and he gets out the car. Like, so he pulled the ticket and he just gets out the car. And he walks like in front of us and then he just starts screaming. And I'm just like, like I can't even like, I can't even figure out what is going on, I have no clue. 
And I, like, I don't even know what to do. Like, do I get out? Do I not get out? Do I need to move the car? Like, and my husband is the kind of, like, he's alpha. Like, he doesn't cry. He doesn't, this, so this is extremely unusual behavior, right? So we're just like, not knowing what's going on. Then he comes and gets in the car and he's like, moving the car. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, and he's like, I, something happened. They told us not to get on the ship. Don't get on the ship. And I'm like, something wrong with Martin? And that, like, that's his, one of his brothers. And he's like, no, he's like Jada. And I'm like, Jada? Like, Jada's like the last person. I'm like, so then I like, I start calling him. No answer. Phone's just ringing. We just know that something happened. They said, don't get on the ship. And it has to do with Jada. Come home. That's all we know. So I'm like, let me see if there's an, like an accident or something. And, and I see there's like a huge pile up, there's a crash on, on the interstate. And so I'm like, okay, maybe um, she's been in an accident. Like, she's in the hospital, okay, it's fine. So, like we're, so then I'm like, do we get on the ship? Do we not get on the ship? Like, my parents are out here waiting for us. Like, I don't even know what to do. Like, what do I do? And, I, and so I call my sister-in-law and I'm like, Andre's wife, Kawana, and I'm like, um, do you know what's going on? And um, she's like, not really. Where are y'all at? And um, she's like, and I'm telling her, and, and I'm like, do we need to come home? She's like, yes, you need to come home. And I'm like, what? do you know what's going on? And she was like, she's like not really answering me. And then I said, is it bad? She said, yes, it's bad. Also Thanksgiving morning, 45-year-old Alabama businessman Evans Vincent, who had long been estranged from his two now teenage sons, headed west, planning to spend his first holiday in a decade with his sons in Texas. His car was loaded with Christmas and birthday presents for his boys. He had crossed Alabama and was nearly through Mississippi. One more state to go. Louisiana was the last state between him and seeing his boys. But 48-year-old Shelly Rose, a Mississippi transplant whose most recent address was with friends in Lake Charles, she didn't even have a clue it was Thanksgiving when she got back into the driver's seat of her rented minivan that morning. And her family, just a few miles from where she had most recently been locked up, didn't even know their daughter was in Mississippi, much less the town they lived in. Shelley had spent the two previous evenings behind bars in two neighboring Mississippi towns, having been arrested for a fourth and a fifth drunken driving offense. Although the small-town police chief made the decision on Thanksgiving Eve to charge her with a lesser offense of public drunkenness because it was far less paperwork to process. Shelley had only had her driver's license back one month from it having been suspended from a previous DUI in Florida. We will talk about that in the next episode. A stumbling and still disoriented Shelley bargained her way out of lockup in Ellisville, Mississippi. But see, the lady that was the jailer that was supposed to, uh, you know, take you to the front to make a, your first phone call, she kept coming to the back, letting her get out, and, the, and Shelley kept saying, you could tell she was intoxicated. I mean, and it wasn't, I don't think it was just alcohol. I think maybe some Xanax. Yeah. Because she would be talking to us and all of a sudden just nod off. And she says, if anybody can get me bonded out of here tonight, I'll give whoever bonds me out a $1,000. 
So you had every Tom, Dick, and Harry trying to help her bond out without knowing that she had just gotten out of jail in the other town. So, I mean, you had people like, you know, like let's just say her bunkmate was trying to help her get out by calling her boyfriend, and her boyfriend was trying to come up there to get the money up. You know what I'm saying? It was just all kind of people were trying to help her get out of jail, and she got out, and that's when the wreck happened. A woman who was in jail at the same time as Shelley, but did not know her before that evening, talked to me and gave me her firsthand account of the events inside the Ellisville jail that night. She had just gotten out of jail in Lauderdale County the day before. She was going to Louisiana, but when she came in, you know, you can tell a difference between an alcohol high and a high high. She wasn't alcohol high. I mean, she was, don't get me wrong, but I think she was on something else more than alcohol. I witnessed her leaving the cell more times than she was supposed to. Like, she left the cell about, I'm just going to guess, about four or five times after she got booked in to go up front to make phone calls to get out. And see, you're not supposed to be able to do that. When the pill count come by for everybody to get their medication, she ran to the door to ask the same jailer, Um, to let her go back up to the front and call somebody else. Um, Somebody else had given her another bondsman that she kept saying was was sure to get her out, was sure to get her out. And the lady told her no. And about 15 or 20 minutes after, they went out in the hallway and spoke. And then the jailer told her to go back into the cell. And about 20 minutes later, she come back and got her again. This is the second time. And she goes up to the front, makes a couple phone calls. She comes back, and she tells us what she's doing. I mean, she wasn't, like, being shady about it. She was being 100% honest. She's like, i got to get out of here. I've got to get to Louisiana and then back to North Carolina. Um, And the third or fourth time that she was able to get out of the cell, she never came back. A police officer drove Shelly to the tow yard to retrieve her rented Dodge Caravan after hours. And she was released in the early morning hours of Thanksgiving, still over the legal BAC limit, and handed the keys to the rented van she had damaged earlier while driving intoxicated. The tow truck driver, whom I have not spoken to due to pending litigation, reportedly told the family the police called and told him to meet them at the yard after hours to allow Shelley to retrieve the rented minivan. At 10 a.m., Shelley spoke to the family friend in Lake Charles, Marsha Landry, who had been expecting her to return for two days, not knowing that she had started drinking again and had been arrested. Shelley had left Lake Charles a few days earlier and flown to South Carolina to get her things that she had left at her estranged husband's home. She rented a car over there, a van, to come back, and she had her stuff loaded in it. And on the way back, she kind of scratched up the car at a service station from drinking. She was drinking and driving. Now, I had told her, Shelly, call me when you get through Atlanta. And she called me, and she was sober. Mm. 
But that night, she went out and got her a bottle. She gets to Meridian and she gets arrested for DUI. They put her in jail. And she spends the night in jail. Then the next day, she goes about, well, Ellisville. Do you know how far Meridian is from Ellisville? Not very far at all. And she was drunk in Ellisville and they arrest her. And Ellisville turned her loose. I think she was still drunk when they turned her loose, tell you the truth. During her last phone call with Shelley, upon learning why Shelley hadn't made it back to Lake Charles, she tells her that things are going to have to change. Because I told her, I said, Shelley, when you get back here, I had found out about the two arrests. And I told her, I said, Shelley, when you get here, we need to talk. We need to decide what we're going to do. I think you're going to have to find you another place. So I don't know if that set her off and she committed suicide or what. But she took other two other people with her. Marsha would be the last person to speak to Shelley. Shortly after 10.20 Thanksgiving morning, Shelley got on the interstate, I-59, at the off-ramp near Lumberton, Mississippi, give or take an hour driving distance from Ellisville, the same I-59 that Jada and Evans are traveling nearby, thinking about seeing their families in just a short time. Josh Sheremy, Jada's co-worker, Christy Thompson, a Hattiesburg realtor, and Alabama resident Sasha Holt and her companion Scott Buckler are also nearby on this intersection of I-59, headed for Thanksgiving turkey and all the quintessential American trimmings. Christy was headed to Slidell with her boyfriend Jason when he saw a vehicle headed straight toward them and veered into the other lane. Christy quickly let down the window, waving frantically to get her attention to warn her that she was headed in the wrong direction. But the driver, Shelley, never looked over. As Jason rounded the bend in I-59, Christy was already dialing 911. I'm like, by this point, everything happened so quickly. Um, and I don't even remember, but I was already dialing 911. I don't even remember it. Um, I just remember rolling the window down. I'm on the phone with 911. He is flicking his lights and, you know, pumping his brakes. So I'm on the phone. So she, I'm like, she's about to pass us, you know? So we're in the left lane and she's got, I mean, I, I remember her face. Like it, it, it gives me goosebumps because I'll never get it out of my mind. She, we were so close. I mean, I could see right into the vehicle. She had both hands, 10 and two, white knuckle. And, and I'm doing this out the window and just like, what, stop, you know? And she did not even look up at me. She did not look at me at all. And she had this just death stare, just blank is the only way I can describe it. Just vacant and like, she wasn't, she didn't look scared. She didn't look frantic. She wasn't, do, she was just driving, just, she was on a mission. It was, there was no, she wasn't swerving off the road at, at this point. Like, I mean, it was like, it was like we were in her way. Christy knew that the cars on the other side of the curve in the road had no idea what was around the bend, and she had seen the large grouping of cars behind them. As she's passed, I mean, we're, we're, I'm screaming, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I look behind me, the 18-wheelers, there was an 18-wheeler who 
jerked into the left lane. Um, and, and traffic had slowed down when we started slowing down, but it not not quick enough. And again, remember, we're coming around a turn. So it was a delay, I'm sure, behind us of who, who was understanding what was going on. People are honking horns. Truck drivers are flashing their lights. And I mean, I just continued to look until we came back around that, that you know, the end of it. So I couldn't see right behind me. And that's when I just lost it. And I looked at him and I said, people are going to die. People are going to die right now. And there's nothing we can do about it. It was a helpless feeling. They rode in silence, Christy praying for a miracle the entire rest of the way to her parents' home and thanking God for sparing their lives, but feeling guilty, knowing others were almost assuredly not as fortunate. About 25, 30 minutes still left in the trip, and I, I did call my mom once I gathered myself because I didn't want to freak her out, um, and told her we are, you know, we just dodged a bullet and that told her what was going on. She was like, Oh my God, just get here. You know, as soon as I got there, um, we, we, you know, of course it was a very somber when I told them, we told them the story of what was going on and they had already set the table and everything. So we were, we, you know, it was basically, I got there, said my hellos and we sat down at the table and I was just completely, I was not there. And, the, and right as I sat down and we're about to say grace, my phone, the, my phone was sitting up like this next to me and WDAM, um, all, my, all my news alerts, you know, that I have on my phone were going off in the first headline I see. And so was that there was multiple cars in a vehicle was going, you know, heading northbound and in a southbound and um, several, you know, um, were involved. Like, I, I think it even might have said that there was already, there was already deaths. Um, I can't remember at that point. So immediately when I, I mean, I, we were literally saying grace and I just got up from the table. I was, cause I bawled and I just hit the floor cause I knew it. Christy says the crash and knowing she survived has changed her forever, but she eventually had to stop the what ifs because there's no way to answer them. All I could believe was it just, it, it wasn't our time. And it, and it wasn't, you know, and, and it's horrible to say because other people lost their lives and doesn't mean that that was their time either. Um, it was just, you know, you, you try to, to you, you think these things, you say these things out loud so that you can somehow cope with the guilt of, you know, the survivor's guilt, the, the just the, the horrific why was it them why wasn't it why exactly what you know just how come I, you know i was luckier than she was how and you know but you can't let yourself go there you just have to eventually and and eventually the questions stop and you just have to say i'm still here for a reason and i don't want to waste that reason you know i'll just whatever i need to do just use me and um something maybe that I can do that can help someone. Um, but that was, that was my mindset after that. And, and it just, it had to be because it was the only way I knew how to cope. And Christy isn't the only stranger who shared that stretch of the road that day left with a lot of sorrow and what ifs that morning, Scott Buckler and Sasha Holt were headed from Alabama to Texas, much like Evan Vincent was. I've probably made this trip for most of the last 
close to 30 years uh, without incident. Um, we got up early, left around six, and we were about halfway through the trip. Sasha was on the phone with her sister when Scott interrupted her. He saw something up ahead that troubled him. He thought that it was a glimmer of the sun hitting a bumper on a vehicle a couple of miles ahead. What had caught his attention before, uh, because we were on the inside lane traveling, and he said that he noticed that it was getting closer rather than farther away. Whatever it was, it was coming quicker than it should have been, and the two could see cars in a cluster up ahead scattering to avoid it. And I looked up, and that's when we both realized that this vehicle is coming towards us in our lane. And Scott said, hold on. He said, this is not going to be good. At the same time, Scott is doing his best to move out of Shelley's way. They are struck. As I noticed something in the distance didn't look right, I told her, I was like, need to put your seatbelt on. I said, something, it's about to get bad. When I looked up from her back, as I turned the wheel, the van had come by and it hit the mirror in the SUV as it went by. Scott was on the shoulder and stopping as everything was happening instantly, slow motion, all around them, all at once. The mind does crazy things in crisis situations, but everyone I talk to has very similar accounts of the moments before the crash. And then uh, for, for me, it was the mirror on the SUV, and I instantly looked to the, the rearview mirror, and it was just, it was chaos behind us. I, I could tell you what that woman looked like. That's how, um, it, it, it slowed down for me. When I, when I realized what was getting ready to happen, it, it, it slowed down for me. I don't know why or how. When she passed, I looked from the van that she was driving to the rearview mirror, and it was just a fireball. People on the scene did what they could. It was utter chaos, and that's such an understatement. Sasha and Scott gather themselves and get out of their car to try to render aid. Sasha is a first responder. And it's horrendous. It's, it's like nothing any of us have ever seen. Yeah, Jada was deceased. Shelly was deceased. Mr. Vincent was deceased. Off-duty EMTs covered one of the victims. Scott isn't sure who it was. It was so awful. An elderly couple's vehicle was totaled when the engine of another vehicle flew into their truck. But and his wife was really, really shaken up. He was, um, I forgot if he was an ex, a retired Navy or, or mil- he's a retired military. Mm-hmm. And he, he was shaken up and he had come and asked me and uh, he said, I, I don't really want to move my truck. He said, I think it's leaking transmission fluid. I said, well, I said, you know, I said, I'll look at it. I said, if it's, if it's okay, I said, let's get it off the highway a little more. I said, you know, I knew ambulances, fire trucks, everything was coming. Right. And um, as, I, as I walked down the driver's side of the truck, it, it didn't take long to realize that 
that wasn't red transmission fluid down the side of his truck. Oh man. Um, and, you know, and I just told him, I was like, we just need to leave the truck sitting here. You know, I, we don't need this. This needs to be here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, um, I don't know if there's anything that could have changed it that day. I know, you know, I mean, what did happen changed everybody that was involved in it. To this day, Sasha and Scott have survivor's guilt and nightmares. This was a sentiment echoed by others I talked to as well. It's been very hard for Scott and I. Um, very hard. It's It's been it's been very hard. We, we replay it. Was there anything we could have done differently that we should have done differently? Um, could we have responded differently? Had our reaction time been different? Would Shada had more reaction time? But there was no way for that to have happened. Sasha waited with Jada until paramedics arrived. She and Scott both have daughters close to the same age as Jada. Sasha says she couldn't leave her alone. They both avoid that stretch of highway now, but it's not enough to avoid thinking about tragedy anytime they travel. Sasha thinks often Jada could just as easily have been her own daughter. I could tell that because I, as I stood there, only thing that I can only, and I, and I still remember it, I still wake up at night from it. I can smell the gas, the oil, the transmission fluid. Uh, there's a distinct smell from mm-hmm. a human, from a human that's passed. I could, I, I still wake up at night smelling that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know with, with Miss Bright's vehicle, you know, her little car, it had like the pink leopard print seat covers and the steering wheel covers and i can see that all over the highway and it, to, to, to this day i see it if i go in a store if i go somewhere that comes back to me every everything that happened in that highway that that day comes right back the day the minute i see that stuff i i, I will still wake up in the middle of the night smelling the oil smelling the gas and it, I, you know, it's just something I, I can't, I, it's in my head. Yeah. I can't, I can't get it out. Mm. You know what I mean? To this day, like I say, I walk in, walk in a place and it has the stuff that was in the little girl's car yeah. and it, it, it just comes over me. I can't, I can't stop it. You yeah. know what I mean? It was, that was just one of them days that, that, I mean, it was eight inches from being yeah. me. You know, I mean, it, like I said, you're, you're talking almost the width of your hand from tip of your finger to to your palm from it being me. Jada Bright and Evans Vincent would never make it to see their families that Thanksgiving day. Shelley crashed into them and two other vehicles at 10.26 a.m. Her estranged husband called Marsha. Her husband called us and told us she had been killed. And when I answered the phone, he said, well, she did it. And this was Thanksgiving Day. He said, well, she did it. I said, what? He said, Shelly's dead. The problem is she took two innocent people with her and changed dozens of lives forever. Jada's co-worker Josh was headed home that morning as well, and he was just a few miles back 
headed to the same area of South Louisiana. So you never really anticipate something like that. But we woke up, I woke up the next day, didn't, you know, think much of it, got packed, got ready. And what's funny is I still to this day, and I talk to a lot of people about it, but I feel like a red light changed our places because we wound up actually being in the same place at the same time. And I, I want to say maybe a mile apart. Like it was, it was definitely an eye-waking moment because as I was per- passing that Pearl River exit, I just remember chaos ensuing and everybody pulling to the side. Josh said he knew it must be bad by the amount of commotion, but he didn't want to think about it and thought the obligatory, I hope everybody's okay, as we all do in similar situations. Josh said after he got through the traffic, which took some time, he was about a couple of miles down the road when his phone rang. It was a co-worker from Patio 44. Jada was gone. Josh told me he's tired of losing friends or seeing lives lost due to alcohol, and he has seen a lot as a college student. He remembered a crash his freshman year at Southern Miss involving distracted and intoxicated college kids and an elderly couple. If you still go today, today there's a little cross on the side of the road because I was just, you know, college student, middle of the night, go in to get some Taco Bell on like a Saturday night or something like that. And another crash in Hattiesburg that killed a couple of his fellow Southern Miss students. Josh is doing his part by changing his own lifestyle and not drinking anymore. I've always been a big component. Like, I cannot stand losing more and more and more and more friends due to just stupidity and not thinking. Just like, for instance, there's another case in Hattiesburg, Michelle Short, and Elizabeth Clyburn. Drinking and driving, not paying attention. They get cut off in traffic. This happened a couple of years ago in Hattiesburg. Killed Michelle Short in an accident, all because of drinking and driving. And to me, I've actually given up drinking completely due to some of this. Just, it's not worth it anymore. And that's, I think that was the biggest heartbreak when it came to Jada's case, is that the lady who caused the accident, it was just, it was multiple offense on multiple offense on multiple offense. And Jada, why, why was Jada, you know, I ask that question every day, like, why did she pay the price for another lady's mistake? Everyone that day who was involved, offered aid, saw the devastation, or knew one of the victims was changed forever. And those left living have all reacted in different ways. Jennifer, who has since lost her own dad and a sister to COVID, continues to fight to ensure that Jada's death is not in vain. The day we visited in her home, Jada was close by, her remains on a shelf in Jennifer and Jasper's family room. Um, this has some of Jada's ashes inside of it. So we're gonna have Jada at the table with us Wonderful. today. Because if you know Jada, you would know that no one could speak for her. She spoke for herself. And so, like, this is, this is truly just Jada's story, you know? It's her life you get to hold in your hand. She works tirelessly to keep Jada's memory alive and to prevent the circumstances of her death, the release of a repeat DUI offender while still intoxicated and handed the keys to a motor vehicle. If, she- if Shelly would have been let out, if she would have been let out at a legal level, Shelly would still be here. Shelly may have gotten her help and may be trying to be a mother to her kid right now. You know, Mr. Evans would have got to see his sons and Jada would, would have walked across the stage. 
Jada's car was used repeatedly at high school DUI programs in Pearl River County. More on that in episode three. Jada's death is the reason her friend and co-worker Josh Sheremy gave up alcohol for good. And Jada is the reason I decided to do a podcast on drunk driving. Maybe God's plan for Jada was her story to change everything. In the next episode, we will learn more about Shelly Rose and the events leading up to the Thanksgiving Day 2018 crash. Special thanks to Louisiana Christian University for partial funding of this project, Proverbs 21, 21.